a very good morning and happy Easter, everyone. Really pleased to uh, welcome you here, especially if you are here with a, one of the people who's getting baptized as a visitor of ours, or maybe here for the very first time. It's been a fantastic weekend. On, uh, on Good Friday, just two days ago, I was in Bedford in the morning with something like eight or 900 other people. Look at this picture. Isn't that amazing? Like Christians coming together from across the town just to worship Jesus and to remember the sacrifice that he made. Absolutely stunning morning in the sunshine. Of course, on Holy Saturday yesterday, in the sun, we did what any uh, decent family would do and had a water fight. This, uh, this right here is my son. Oh, this is me. I was going to get, this is, this is Ollie, right? This is with his, with his first ever water balloon. Surely before he squeezed it and then sprayed water all down himself, bless him. And yes, I do take it that seriously, by the way. If you're going to do a, get, get, go for a water fight, you've got to make sure that you uh, take your children out, am I right? And so uh, Jesus was obviously on that holy Saturday doing war against Satan, sin, and death. I was doing war with my children, but I do not condone violence other than the water variety, okay? And of course, today is the kind of climax for us. This is the day which changed everything. This is the day that we really do celebrate the fact that the world is different because of one man's incredible act. And you know, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Amen? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. This is the beauty of God's incredible message to us. Honestly, the gospel is the very best news that you are ever going to hear. And it's all about this one man, Jesus. He is altogether good and he is better than you think. And today... We celebrate the fact that he is alive right now. And you can get excited about that, all right? Permission to get excited, okay? Permission to to be really celebrating today. Because we're celebrating the greatest person who's ever lived. The greatest event that ever took place and the greatest victory that this world has ever seen. And you know what? You might say to me right now, Steve, what are you going to talk to me about? Are you trying to get me saved? And I would say 100% yes. 100% yes. Right now, I'm going to try and convince you. And I'm going to try and, if you like, breathe on what the Holy Spirit wants to do on right now. Because of the fact that I believe that he wants to rescue and save people right here. And I believe that he wants to inquire and give you destiny for the things that he has called you to in purpose and in life. Because the decision that you make regarding Jesus is the most important decision that you are ever going to make. Over these last three weeks, we've been taking a chapter of Mark's gospel, 14, 15, and right now we're going to be in the final few verses in chapter 16. So if you want to join with me, you're really welcome to turn your Bibles there, otherwise it's going to be on the screen behind me. It says this, Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Now very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. Now, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robes sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. You are nothing like as excited as you need to be right now. If you don't get excited by that line, let me tell you, your wood is wet right now. We're going to try again. Are you ready? The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Yeah! 
Come on now. Now look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you before he died. Now the women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and said nothing to anyone because they were too afraid. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples, who were grieving and weeping, and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers and were walking from Jerusalem into the country. Now they rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. And he told them, go into all the world, preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Now listen, the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. It is absolutely critical to all that we believe. You won't often uh, hear me quoting the very famous atheist Richard Dawkins, but I'm going to right now. He said this, if the resurrection is not true, Christianity becomes null and void. I agree with that. Honestly, if Jesus did not rise again, then we could all have a lie-in on a Sunday morning, okay? We need to sell this building. We need to get another hobby. We need to pack up and go home because our faith has no value to it. But could it have happened? You see, if Jesus rose from the dead, everything changes, and everything that he said becomes real and true for us. So is there any evidence? Let me share with you some of the things that I believe are evidences of what happened on that first Easter Sunday. The first of all thing that we see in this passage is that when the ladies got to the tomb, Jesus wasn't there. He was absent from the tomb. Now, many theories have been put forward to explain where he might have been. Some people would suggest, well, maybe Jesus didn't actually die. Maybe he felt faint. Maybe it was the case that he swooned, and when they put him in the uh, grave, he actually wasn't properly dead. Actually, this didn't make any sense. And if anyone's seen Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, you'll realize just how violent a torment Jesus himself went through. He underwent a Roman flogging, for which many people had died simply from that. He underwent crucifixion. He was beaten beyond recognition. And these were professional executors that put him to death. Roman guards and officers who on seeing that he was already dead, thrust a spear up through his chest and into puncturing his heart. Even at that point, he was cocooned in over a hundred pounds of grave clothes. Now, someone having gone through that torture, someone having gone through what has been described as the most horrific form of execution ever known to man, could someone have really been strong enough, well enough, to brush themselves down, get out of the grave clones, and then move a stone, which is over a ton and a half. It's not going to have happened. More than that, there were guards who would have themselves had their lives at risk if Jesus had come out. Now, you see, some have said, though, 
If that wasn't the case, well, maybe the authorities stole the body. Maybe they moved the body. Well, this doesn't make any sense because it was the authorities who were trying to quash and crush the uprising of the Christians. So surely at that point, they would have said, oh, no, 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 Jesus actually is here and here's his body to prove it. Some people think that maybe robbers stole the body. But this doesn't make any sense either because the only thing of actual value within the tomb was the grave clothes which remained there after Jesus And then some people have believed that it was the disciples. Maybe the disciples stole the body to start an an amazing hoax. But this doesn't make any sense. There's no point of them starting a rumor. These guys were completely disconnected. They were completely depressed. They were completely disillusioned at the time of Jesus' death. But something remarkable happens. These cowards who were hiding away, even Peter, who's mentioned in our story, denies Jesus three times publicly. And yet he is radically transformed. See, this guy wrote, went on to write two books of the Bible. He preached many times that you'll see in Acts, sermon after sermon, all about this resurrection of Jesus Christ. He even said, I no longer fear death. I will defeat it as he did. But when the people who wanted to critique him and get him to renounce his faith said that we will put you to death, we will crucify you as you claim that Jesus was, He even said, if you're going to crucify me, crucify me upside down. He's not the only person of the disciples or indeed many others through church history who have died for this truth, floggings or torture. Mark, who even wrote this book, history tells us that because of his trust in the resurrection, he so seriously believed it that he left Peter to go and preach in Egypt and had a massive influence of starting churches there. But he was killed. Again, when he refused to denounce his faith by being dragged through the streets by horses. Now, it seems inconceivable to me that they would be prepared to endure the sorts of things that they would have gone through if they knew it to be untrue. As one historian remarks, liars make bad martyrs. This doesn't make any sense. Then there's also the compelling evidence of the fact that we've seen that it was ladies, women, who were the first people to realize that Jesus was alive. You see, at this point, the attitude of the first century world toward women was actually incredibly oppressive. And so it makes no sense for Mark to write. If he's going to make something up, then he would, make, um, he would use men and he would use people in, in significant authority to be able to make up this story. Because at this point, women could not vote. Women could not uh, own a house. Women were not even allowed to testify in a court case. So why would you make up a story which immediately has its legs cut from it? The reason being is because it's true. And then you've got to start doing something with the fact that he appeared to his disciples. Now, many people have said, well, maybe they were hallucinating. Maybe they were um, a little bit short. Maybe they didn't understand. Maybe they were highly strong, highly imaginative, nervous people. Maybe on, on drugs or maybe they were sick. But this doesn't make any sense either. Actually, the disciples were the sorts of people who were burly fishermen and tax collectors or skeptics like Thomas, not the sort of people who are likely to hallucinate. But more than that, Jesus appeared, even recorded, over 11 occasions to various different people. And over 500 people over the course of the next 60-odd days. Now... More than that, though, is that these hallucinations, if they were that, were incredibly active. And so people hugged and embraced Jesus. They were able to touch his body, feel his hands, and and see what was going on with his wounds. They were able to dialogue with him. 
They even sat down together on a beach and had breakfast and cooked fish together. Jesus taught them. He was active and he was there. More than that, these accounts of what was written about Jesus' life were within the time frames of many of the people who saw them. 1 Corinthians even says, where Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, if you don't believe that Jesus rose, go and speak to all the people who have seen him. You see, there was not enough time for legend to develop, as I once thought. Too many people had the experience of encountering the risen Lord Jesus. And one of the most compelling arguments that I've seen is the fact that even his family worshipped him as God. How many people have got kids here? Or how many people have got a sibling, a brother or sister? How many people think they're God? <laughs> of course, we know them personally, don't we? We know them intimately. We, you know, I, I knew within about five minutes as my children were screaming at me that they, these guys, they're, they're not perfect. They have a sinful nature. But actually, even Jesus' brothers, James and Jude, were killed for their faith. Even Mary, his mother, honored him as a risen Lord. And then we see, finally, the immediate impact the dramatic impact of what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. From this tiny little province, from this tiny nation, the entire world has been reached by this penniless carpenter from Nazareth. Michael Green, the scholar, puts it like this. He says the church, from a handful of uneducated fishermen and tax gatherers, swept across the whole known world in a perfectly amazing story of a peaceful revolution that has no parallel in history. It came about because Christians were able to say to inquirers, Jesus not only, uh, did not only die for you, but he is alive. You can meet him and discover for yourself the reality we're talking about. They did, and the church spread everywhere. You see, millions of people have encountered the risen Lord Jesus. I'm one of them. He changed my life. He radically impacted me. And you've heard stories, haven't you, this morning, of people from all sorts of different walks of life you see, this message of Jesus is actually for all of us, from every background, from every continent, from every nation, from every uh, economic or social or intellectual background, from all walks of life. We unite in the fact that Jesus can be encountered and experienced because of his resurrection. And I even, even touched on some of the things that you could explore, like his fulfillment of prophecy or the evidence outside of the Bible or the first Christians who stopped worshipping on a Saturday in order to honour the Sunday when Jesus rose again. Or the fact that even his enemies, like Saul, were converted having encountered the risen Jesus. Now if you're here and you're not a Christian right now, let me encourage you to look into this evidence. There's an incredible book by a guy called Lee Strobel that I'd encourage you to get. This is called The Case for Easter. And what happens is that uh, there was a journalist, an investigative journalist, who wanted to explore the claims of faith. The reason being is because his wife had become a Christian. He wanted to disprove it. And so he began to interview people and investigate for himself. He became a Christian and actually wrote a book about his journey. I read this quote this last week by a guy. He said this, I don't have to ask for forgiveness. And then he said, why do I have to repent or ask for forgiveness if I'm not making mistakes. You know who said that? Donald D. J. Trump. <laughs> if we are honest, and I would implore you right now, be honest in your heart, I think we would all agree that it's true what the Bible says in Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whether it's in motivation whether it's in word, whether it's in thought, 
whether it's indeed. Actually, all of us have done things that, by our own standards, we've made mistakes, yet alone the standards of a holy, perfect God. Nobody can say, even as these guys did this morning, nobody can say that they're perfect other than one, other than Jesus Christ himself, because he was without sin. And you know, because of what Jesus did on the cross, Jesus has paid the penalty that you and I owe for our sin and for our regret and for our embarrassment and for our shame. All those things we can know freedom from because of the fact that it was paid in full by the perfect, spotless Son of God, Jesus Christ. There is nothing that you can do to earn it. On Friday, I heard a guy just share an illustration all about his club card. Or uh, some people call them loyalty cards, don't they? And I, I kind of realized that and then figured I had about eight of them. So I'm not so loyal, right? <laughs> now listen, this one is a Tesco club card. And uh, every time that I go into Tesco and I'm kind of buying my food there, of course, I kind of swipe that card and it gives me a few points. And of course, if I uh, buy enough and I do it for long enough, then those points will uh, get bigger and bigger. And over the course of probably about 25 years, maybe I'll get enough to take my family out to Pizza Express or somewhere, right? And so what happens is that we all kind of put these uh, points on. And I used to think, you know, that our acceptance by God was a little bit like a point scheme. I figured, you know, if we do the right things, maybe if we go to church, we'll maybe get five points, right? If we read our Bible, there's 10 points right there. You know, we give to comic relief, happens every few years. You know, I'm going to get a few more points. I'm going to walk a lady uh, over, the, over the road who's struggling to walk with a stick. Maybe I'll get a few more points there. You know, maybe, maybe for some of you thinking, yep. Yeah, I've been out to Romania and I've built an orphanage. I'm going to get 25,000 points. But you know, in reality, in reality, actually not one of us could earn our way into God's favor. and Not one of us can actually stand before God and say, there's something that I've done which is going to make him accept me. Actually, he loves you. And Jesus has done everything. Jesus has made a way for you to be able to. Now listen, I've got some... News for you, which I don't think will surprise you, but it might shock some of you that I'm saying it. I'm sorry to say that every single one of you is going to die. This is slightly awkward right now, isn't it? I apologize. You've come to church for a uh, cheery message right now, but I'm telling you is that the the truth, to be honest, it's the ultimate statistic. 100% of us, me and you, one in one, every single person is going to die. Now, it doesn't matter how hard you work at it. And it doesn't matter how healthy and fit you are right now, it is the ultimate statistics. Now, interestingly, the Victorians used to talk about death all of the time, but they would never talk about sex. Now, those years later have gone by, and we're kind of the opposite, aren't we? We talk about sex all the time. It's all over the magazines. It's uh, all over the television and the, the TV box sets, but we very rarely talk about death. I heard of one hospital who even stopped using the word death. Instead, they would refer to a negative patient care outcome. <laughs> I, um, I don't know whether you've ever been to a funeral or not. I'm actually going to a funeral of my grandmother on Thursday. If you've been to a funeral, actually, they can feel incredibly final, can't they? Incredibly bleak, incredibly difficult times. Because what happens after that can feel like a mystery to us. Apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus. Because whilst none of us have been there, none of us have returned from there, 
None of us are able to, to tell other people what awaits for us. Jesus can. You see, Jesus went to the other side of the grave, and he came back to tell us what awaits. He came back to save us from our sin and death and to invite us into relationship with him. Now, I believe that the most important day of your life is going to be the last day. You know, two good friends of mine in this church, Mike and Ali Green, who many of you will know, both of them have lost their fathers in the last month. And that's a desperately painful thing. And they're grieving and it's hard. But you know what's amazing? Is the fact that they're also celebrating the fact that they know where their fathers are because they love Jesus and made him known. And actually, the Bible talks about the fact that we should not grieve as those who have no hope because we have an eternal hope in Jesus. Amen? May the last day of your life be the best day because I believe for them, and I believe for those of you who call yourself Christians here, that actually when you close your eyes finally, you'll be able to open them again to see Jesus and be in his kingdom eternally. Let me try and illustrate it to you like this. My wife has had three children, okay? We have three amazing children, six, four, and one. And uh, maybe you could think about just when, when Philippa would have been pregnant with them, or in fact, think about any other person around the building who might well be pregnant right now. Now imagine for a second, in their tiny, all-consuming world within the womb, if I stepped in to be able to speak to them, and I started to say to them, actually, you know, hey, those stumps that are kind of growing out of your torso right now, actually, they're arms. And one day, you're going to be able to do amazing things with your arms. You're going to be able to catch and throw balls and, and use them to love on people. And those things that are, are tightly pressed up to your chest right now, they're legs. And one day, you're going to be able to stretch your legs, and you're going to be able to walk, and you're going to be able to run, and you're going to be able to go places and no freedom. And you know those things that are in the front of your head, those things, they're called eyes. And one day there'll be more than just the darkness that's consuming you right now. And one day you will be able to see light and beauty and goodness. See, what if though, what if right now we realize that this, this life that we're in is preparation for the next? What if every decision that you make counts? What if things that, and the way that your character grows and the, the, the decisions that you make start to shape the person that you're going to be for an eternity? And listen to me on this. I am not trying to convert you to a religion. Religion killed Jesus. Rules and regulation made up by men. Control. It's the absolute opposite of what we want to do. What I want to do is invite you into a relationship with your maker. Relationship with the one who loves you and knit you together. This gospel is good news. Just um, a week or so ago, I was in South Africa. I had the privilege of going over and connecting with a whole bunch of church leaders from all over the world. There were people from Ukraine, from Bulgaria, from India, from Mexico, from the US, from the Netherlands, from Kenya, from Serbia. Amazing. Just doing remarkable things all over the world. Let me tell you about one particular guy I met. His name was Clapperton, and he was from Zimbabwe. And uh, Clapperton on a Saturday, would get a bus out as far as the buses go into the wilderness, into the outback, as it were. And then he would keep walking and walking until he finds a tribe. And uh, he would then sleep where the people in that tribe sleep. He would eat what they eat. And the following morning, he would begin clapping, and he would start singing, and he would draw a crowd, and he would tell people about Jesus. And he was seeing people come to know God. And you know, I was thinking to myself, I said to him, like, 
That's amazing. It must be terrifying going to all those people who have never heard of Jesus. It's like, actually, that bit's not, not terrifying. It's the fact that when I walk, I've got to be careful that I don't come across lions, elephants, or rhinos because they're really dangerous. This guy's literally praying, God, protect me from the lions as he's walking places. And yet he's seeing God do remarkable things. Do you know, I didn't come from Zimbabwe today. I didn't, apart from my kids, I didn't come across any wild animals, okay? I came across from Brickhill in a cab. But this morning, I want to tell you the same message. That you are priceless. And God loves you with an everlasting love. And he wants to save you today. Let me give you some statistics. There is a 1 in 700,000 chance that you might get in some point in your life hit by lightning. There is a 1 in 11.5 million chance that you could be attacked by a shark. Okay? Sorry for those people who don't like sharks. There is a 1 in 45 million chance of you winning the lottery. But let me just say, if you do play the lottery, if you do win the lottery, tithing is a biblical concept. But let me tell you one stat that just blew my mind. Some scientists started to do the odds of you being born. And the odds of you being born are 1 in 400 trillion. That's a 4 with 14 zeros on it. And that's a pretty big number. You are a miracle. You are a miracle. And God made you with a purpose. Let me finish like this because I want to give you the opportunity of responding to Jesus right now. John 14 verse 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is not a way. God is not at the top of a mountain with lots of different paths going to it. He's not one of five ways, four ways, three ways, two ways. He is the one and only way to God. And you have the opportunity right now of putting your trust in, his, in him and the finished work of the cross. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to invite the band to come back up. And these guys are going to play. And in a moment, we're going to take the opportunity of standing together. We're going to sing a song and we're going to baptize these six people. And we're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus is on the move right now. But before I do that, I want to give you the opportunity don't worry about the person to your left or to your right. I want to give you the opportunity of knowing that you are right with God right here and right now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask if you can, please, just for a moment of stillness, for us to close our eyes and bow our heads. Not that there's anything supernatural about that or that allows you to fix your eyes on Jesus. If you know that this is what you want, if you know right now that God is calling you home and into a relationship with him, you pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I want to turn away from the sin and the darkness that's been in my life. And I want to put my trust in you. put my trust in the finished work of the cross and I want to thank you that you rose again for me and I welcome you to come and 
lead me from this day forward. In Jesus' name.